You're listening to High Temperature Times, a toasty refractory line fireplace for these cold winter months. My name is Griffin Patterson, and I'm an application specialist with Harbison Walker International. Nothing about the refractory industry is cold. So it might be easier to attribute the fires of industry with July than it would be with December, at least for most of us. For everyone else, let's just say I'm jealous. These cold months mean that our power plants are working hard to keep our lights on and the electric heaters under our desks humming. It means our boilers are running more on than they are off. It means we better make sure we don't have any drafts coming in from a poorly insulated attic. It means we're going to need insulated from this weather. So that's what I'm here to talk with you about today. Insulation. When it comes to insulation, we've got a couple different flavors. We've got castable insulations like Castellite and Greenlight materials. We've got board or block insulation like Innsboard or Innsblock. But what I want to bend your ear on for a few minutes is blanket insulation, or what we like to call Innswool. It's that fluffy little number that comes rolled up and slapped in a box. It has densities and temperature ratings, and honestly, that's about as far as most of us get. What all that stuff actually means is, well, less important. It's a consumable, like toilet paper. But don't wipe your bum with it. Ouch. So let's all cozy up to the fireplace with a hot chocolate, a mulled wine, or better yet, a hot toddy, and talk about what refractory ceramic fiber is, how it's made, and what's so important about it all. So Harbison Walker makes all of its refractory ceramic fiber blanket out of our plant in Pryor, Oklahoma. There are a couple different product categories with some subtle differences, but generally speaking, it's an aluminosilicate material made from tiny fibers all needled together to make a blanket that's more air than anything. These fibers are so randomly arranged that they get tangled up and don't form nice orderly lines. Fun fact, it's actually the same idea as the fiberglass insulation in your attic, except that's made out of glass, obviously, where this is made out of a highly refractory ceramic, making it remain effective at high temperatures. Now, I should probably say that because it's made out of tiny fibers, you should don appropriate PPE, such as face masks, goggles, gloves, and long sleeves. Safety first, people. So how do they do it? How's it made? Well, in order to make those tiny little fibers, they actually need to take it to a melt. Yeah, we're talking about molten aluminosilicates, over 3,300 degrees Fahrenheit in an electric arc furnace. Once molten, the material is tapped and run through a series of rollers that both freezes it back into solid and flings it into a fiber. Those fibers are then blown through a duct onto a moving belt where they collect like snow that you do not want to make snow angels in. The thick bed of fibers are then needled together to make sure they hold up like a blanket and cut into strips to be rolled, boxed, and shipped. I'm sure the guys in prior will be pretty disappointed in how truncated I made the whole process seem, as I'm told it's quite an intricate balance of items to keep the product coming out with the right properties. I mean, chemistry affects your temperature rating, sure, but things like fiber length, air velocity, air temperature, melt temperature, roller speed, etc., 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 are all going to be crucial things to control. But yeah, that's a 30-second summary of how ceramic fiber blanket is made. From there, you can run it through a washing process to make RCF paper, compress it down with a binder to make a board, wrap it into a module shape, vacuum form it with a binder to make various shapes, or suspend it in a slurry to make a pumpable or moldable consistency product. Yeah, that's the crazy thing about ceramic fiber. It comes in a lot of different variations. Not only do you have your different temperature grades, like 2300 Fahrenheit rated aluminosilicate based, 26 Fahrenheit rated aluminosilicate silica based, and 3000 Fahrenheit Molite based products, but you can also get these products in a lot of different forms. The most common, aka the ones that most of the refractory industry know about, are the blanket, the board, the paper, and the modules. Whether you're putting blanket behind an internal high alloy steel shell, laying board for the backup of a heat treat furnace floor, lining a high temperature ceramic kiln with modules for ease of installation, or using paper as a combo insulator and wicking material behind a cast lining, these types of RCF products are used a lot. Some other products that maybe less people know about are the bulk fibers, 
and the pumpable slash moldable mixes. Bulk fibers are basically 25-pound cartons with loose refractory ceramic fiber in it. They're most commonly used by companies who will vacuum form the bulk fibers into more complex shapes that can be used in many industries, such as riser sleeves, die casting ladles, burner blocks, head boxes and aluminum furnaces, observation holes, and pipe insulation, just to name a few. Um, but other people can use the RCF bulk for um, stuffing expansion joints. The other is Inswell Pumpable and Inswell Moldable. These are nifty little products that come in either caulking tubes, one or five gallon pails, or even 55 gallon drums for the industrial uses. It's got a putty-like consistency. It can be used to fill small voids and thin cracks, or it can be pumped using special equipment to backfill hot spots and extend operation time. The material dries to a board-like consistency and will compress just like other RCF products. Let's talk about that compression in refractory ceramic fiber. Besides its excellent thermal conductivity, the fact that RCF is compressible makes it such an important material in the industry. If you line a 10-foot kiln with something like fire clay brick end-to-end -end and heat it up to 2,500 Fahrenheit, your refractory is going to expand to be something like 10 foot and 1 inches. That's going to put a lot of compressive forces on the refractory and a lot of tensile forces on your steel shell. Fortunately, your steel shell will get hot too and expand, and the metal expands almost a factor of 10 more than refractories. Unfortunately, your steel is not going to get as hot as the refractory, so it's not going to expand as much. You know, because it's the refractory's job to dissipate heat. The refractory is going to be able to withstand the compressive forces from this thermal expansion because refractory is terrific in compression, but the steel might get fatigued or, dare I say, pop a weld. So we need to add some expansion relief into the length of the unit. We do that by putting some refractory ceramic fiber in there. We can evenly divide the total amount of expansion joints needed by a quarter or a half inch and place one inch thick blanket or bulk fiber between the refractory and that spacing. When the vessel heats up, the bricks will expand and compress the blanket, forming an excellent seal without overstressing the vessel. That's because the fiber's random orientation means that it'll take up a lot of space, but has high porosity that can be crushed if necessary. We also do this on brick shelves. We wrap the brick shelf in some blanket or paper material, so when the metal shelf expands more than the ceramic, it doesn't create a big gap in the lining. Instead, the expansion difference is compressed out by the RCF. The same can be done with cracks. Cracks in refractories happen. We've covered this. They're unsightly, yeah, but they typically close up when heated because of that whole thermal expansion thing. Rough guideline, any crack under an eighth of an inch wide will close up when the vessel gets hot. If you were to walk into that vessel when it's hot, you'd see that the crack isn't even there before you melt into a puddle of goo. But for cracks greater than an eighth inch wide, you can consider sealing them up. You don't want to fill it with more refractory because when the vessel gets hot, either it's going to force that refractory out, or worse, open the crack more. Instead, pack it with refractory ceramic fiber blanket, bulk, or even better, Innsbruck pumpable in a caulking tube. That way, when the vessel gets hot, it will begin to close up and compress the RCF without opening the crack more. One note, if you do aim to seal up cracks, ensure that debris is cleared from the crack. Any small fleck of refractory can risk opening that crack even further because the fleck of the refractory ain't compressible. Anyways, just another cool case of utilizing the compressible yet temperature-resistant nature of refractory ceramic fiber. So in those instances, the key property of RCF is basically unnecessary, the excellent thermal conductivity. Instead, we care about the compressibility. To say that word for the thousandth time. But the truth is that RCF is known industry-wide for being best in class for high-temperature thermal insulation. I mean, it's the bee's knees, the dog's bollocks, the cat's pajamas. Sorry. Now, as a backup material where temperatures seldomly exceed 1,000 Fahrenheit, RCF blanket is twice to four times as insulating as an equivalent insulating castable or an insulating fire brick. And it doesn't lose that excellent insulation capability when modified into an RCF board or paper either. 
But let's talk about that thermal insulation a little bit. Insulating blanket works a lot like your travel coffee mug or your double pane windows. Heat travels as a little wave called a phonon. And it travels much faster through a solid than it does through empty space. I wanted to say air right there, but that's not true. Convection of moving air makes heat travel very quickly because those phonons can hitch a ride on the atoms in the air and move from point A to point B very quickly. That's why travel mugs and double pane windows remove the air between the solid bits using a vacuum, making it so the phonons have nothing to touch a ride on. Now, we can't pull a vacuum in our RCF. If we even had the means to do so, it would just collapse. So instead what we do is make it so that instead of one large vacuum gap, we have thousands of tiny air gaps. So the phonon must go solid air, solid air, solid air, solid air, and so on and so forth. That'll slow the sucker down, and it does. Especially because you're not exactly gonna get convective winds in those tiny little air gaps. And all that porosity drastically lowers thermal conductivity. As a great example, Paraloto RCF, we have two products in our portfolio, Crundel XD, a high aluminum malate bonded brick, and Crundel LW, a high aluminum malate bonded insulating brick. Chemically, which is a key variable in thermal conductivity, they are extremely similar. But the insulating brick has 54% porosity compared to KXD's 15% porosity, and that lowers the material's thermal conductivity by a factor of three. Honestly, it's a pretty big deal. So having a refractory ceramic fiber with something like 85% porosity means an incredible ability to lower thermal conductivity. But here's a fun fact. In refractories, it's generally known that high alumina with a rough density of 190 PCF has a higher thermal conductivity than a fire clay with a density of 150 PCF. You know, less density means better insulation, right? I think that's pretty well established. I mean, look at our lightweights, 45 PCF for an excellent thermal insulation value. But when it comes to refractory ceramic fiber blanket, an eight pound blanket is actually more insulating than a six pound blanket. At something like 750 Fahrenheit, the eight pound blanket will have a 10% lower thermal conductivity than the six pound blanket and 35% lower than the four pound blanket. I'm using percentages here because I'm not excited about the idea of saying BTU per hour foot squared Fahrenheit per inch. What an awful unit to have to say out loud. But anyways, at higher temperatures, the differences are even greater. An eight pound blanket's thermal conductivity is almost half of the four pound blanket at 2000 Fahrenheit with the six pound somewhere in between. So yeah, again, unlike standard refractories where a higher density means higher thermal conductivity, in blanket, the higher density actually means a lower thermal conductivity. And why is that? Well, when we're saying that more porosity is better, we really mean it. The eight pound blanket has more pores, but smaller pores than the six pound and four pound blankets. That means the phonons have to go from solid to air to solid more with the higher density blanket. At some point, there are so many fibers that the pores close up and the phonons go from solid to solid, not slowing down at all. But until that point, it has a great effect on insulating capabilities. One other thing I haven't mentioned yet about RCF products is a recent trend for biosoluble products and an absolutely welcome one in my opinion. There are certain measures that must be taken when using RCF products, such as a face mask, as I mentioned before. That's because the fibers are small enough to penetrate deep into a user's lungs. Masks and other necessary PPE prevent this well, but certain jobs call for additional measures to be taken, such as using ceramic fiber products that your body can dissolve, reducing the risk of health implications should appropriate PPE not be used effectively. These materials, such as Inswell S Blanket, utilize a calcia, silica magnesia chemistry that's biosoluble and thus lowers the risk of health issues while still being an excellent insulator. 
your body actually has the capability of dissolving these materials and then running them through your body as a normal foreign substance. And it makes it all in all a much lower risk of health-related concerns. Another thing I haven't mentioned yet is rigidizer. Many of you probably know it. It's a liquid coating that can be sprayed or painted onto RCF blanket. It will then harden after about 30 minutes and fully seal after 24 hours, forming a tougher, more abrasion-resistant coating. One key difference in HWI's rigidizer, Instuff, is that it's based on colloidal silica and not sodium silicate, aka water glass. The colloidal silica rigidizer will maintain good strength at higher temperatures than sodium silicate-based rigidizers. However, it's worth noting that colloidal silica cannot be allowed to freeze at any point or the silica will fall out of solution. Well, not solution since it's a colloid, not a solution, but you know what I mean. It doesn't sound right to say it fell out of colloid. That whole freezing stuff might pose a problem when you have temperatures outside that we do now. Burr. Anyways, I hope you learned some fun stuff about refractory ceramic fiber. It's a huge category in the refractory industry, and rightly so. It's effective, it's versatile, it's affordable. And it's just another product that HWI is proud to produce in the USA and supply to these critical industries. If you'd like to learn more about HWI's RCF product offerings or anything else mentioned in the episode, reach out to us at tactical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. But this year, give the gift of a podcast subscription by subscribing to your favorite refractory podcast, HGT. Anyways, Yins have a great holiday. Thanks for listening.